Good morning, Portico Church and everybody out there who's joined us for worship today. We're so glad to have you with us. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 today, uh, verses 23 through 26. So if you have your Bible close by, uh, go ahead and grab that. Um, I would ask you how your week has been, but uh, I can't hear you unless you yell really loud. A and B, I kind of have an idea that it's been a rough week. So let's put our minds on God's Word together uh, as we center on what He has for us. We're actually starting a new series today, uh, so we're just going to keep trucking with it. Uh, the name is Jesus Paid It All. So what we want to know is what does it mean for us that Jesus died for us and also rose? This is something we say all the time, Jesus died for our sins. Uh, uh, he, his resurrection is our hope. Um, this is the gospel. But what does that mean? So we're going to take three Sundays and walk through the death of Jesus, and then we'll have Easter, and we'll take three Sundays and walk through the resurrection of Jesus. We want to know this very well. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all those that believe. So what is this power? How does it change us? My hope and my desire for this ser series is that it would um, help us to understand how the death of Jesus and the resurrection is truly our hope. We will understand that with greater precision and truth. We will see the power and the beauty of it, and we will make it our own. So walk with us as we do that together. Again, we'll be in Romans today. We have a chunk of scripture. We're not going to be able to unpack all of it. There's a lot of goodness there, but we will understand uh, the death of Jesus in one aspect today at least. So as we jump into this, um, I'm going to ask you to think of a time when you've been really hurt by somebody maybe, or maybe you've hurt somebody. Now think of that person. Maybe it was on purpose, maybe it wasn't. For whatever reason, you are in conflict with somebody. So you see them in a coffee shop. What's your initial reaction? Maybe your heart starts to race a little bit, the adrenaline starts to flow, a little bit of fight or flight happens. You, you don't want to be there. You want to be around people that you're in conflict with. It bothers you on all levels. So normally what you do is you go. In fact, you might even exit and say, you know what, it's not worth the coffee. I'll come back later. I want you to know that this is our default reaction to God. It is. Now, we might say we believe in God or we even love God, uh, and that's great. And if we're a believer, we're trusting in Christ, and we have a true relationship based on faith. However, our natural reaction to God is to reposition ourselves away from Him. This is true. Now, the death of Jesus should effectively change that for one very simple reason. And this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how the death of Jesus bears the weight of our sin, or said another way, pays the penalty of our sin, so that we have no relational debt with God. And that should change how we approach Him, how we worship, how we live, how we work, how we play. It should change everything about that. So that's, that's our big idea today. This is the one aspect of the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, that we want to look at. Um, the death of Jesus bears the weight of your sin, pays the penalty of your sin. And we're going to look at this truth through 
three lenses or three perspectives. Uh, the first perspective is sin. Uh, the second is sacrifice. And the last is substitution. So we'll see how sin which is a part of us, destroys what God creates. So sin destroys. Secondly, sacrifice uh, pays. It pays the price of what sin has destroyed. And substitution, this is so key. Uh, love requires this. Love requires personal exchange. And God enters into our sin and walks into our damage and receives um, our sin as a substitute. He receives our payment. He, he becomes our sin offering, you will. So let's jump in here. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, as we understand what it means that the death of Jesus has paid for our sin, has bore the weight of our sin. So let's read this together. The text says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, as we are scattered out today, the church scattered, would you unify us by your spirit? We know that the Spirit of God unifies the people of God in real time. And we know this is a stretch because we're so used to being in a building together for this experience, and that is your desire, but not today. And so I pray that you would make this real for us today as we learn from your word, as we walk, as we worship, um, that we would experience you, Lord, and you would open up your word for us that we might behold its beauty and its treasure and its power. Would you do that? And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the death of Jesus, he bears the weight of our sin. Let's look at that through the lens of sin first. Sin destroys. Um, how does this destroy? Well, I want you to understand and see sin as something that maybe you're not used to seeing it as. Sin is relational. Now, many times when we think of sin or wrongdoing or something we've done, we think of a, a, a list of abstract rules. When I say abstract, I mean they're abstracted from the person of God. But what I want you to understand sin is it's a relationship. It's relational damage between you and God. In fact, think of this verse, how it starts out in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to borrow a little bit from uh, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson as he opens up on this, but wh why doesn't it say, here's maybe how I would write that, all have sinned and have broken God's law. That's not what it says. It's assumed, but it's not what it says. It says we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that's because sin is relational. You know, we haven't fallen short of the law. We've fallen short of the glory of God, meaning as those who are at, at, at enmity with God, we are blinded to his glory. We don't even see his glory. We don't experience his glory. We don't love his glory. 
We don't want his glory. We don't even reflect his glory. And outside of Christ, there will never be a day in which we get to share or manifest his glory when Jesus comes. So this gives a different aspect of sin. Sin destroys the glory of God. It's relational damage. Um, It separates us. Think about that for a minute. It's not just destruction. It separates. Sin destroys through separation. Now, um, we, we love the, the capitals, don't we? The caps, right? All caps. I want you to think about hockey for a minute. Just, just stick with me. Even if you're not a hockey fan, I think you'll get this. If you're a hockey player and you do something wrong, well, maybe I should change that. If you're a hockey player and you get caught doing something wrong on the ice and it's bad enough, you get put in what we call the penalty box. Now, they also have another name for that. Do you know what it is? You're wrong. Okay. It's the sin bin. It's the sin bin. So just follow me for a minute. If you're a player that breaks the rules bad enough, uh, you get put in the sin bin. Now, what does that do? It takes you off the ice. You no longer can fulfill your role as a hockey player. You get pulled out of your purpose in that game, and you hurt the other players. This is the same thing that happens in a degree with sin. Sin separates you from God. Um, how, how, do, how do we experience that? Well, I want you to think of sin as rejection. Again, you are, when we sin, we are rejecting God. Well, how? Well, even if we think back to the creation account um, where God has created the heavens and the earth and this beautiful garden, put Adam and Eve there and given them everything, um, there is a rejection that happened. The first part of sin is rejecting God's provision as good. Now, you probably won't say it like that, but your heart will want something that God hasn't given you in that moment. So there's a rejection of his provision as good. There's a rejection of his law as good. Why would God restrict me? Why would God not give me that? And lastly, and this is where it always leads to, there's a rejection of God himself as good. That's what happened in the creation account with Adam and Eve. Hey, maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not the good father that he told us. So sin does this. It damages our relationship with God through these ways. Um, And what else? It leads to death. Romans 6.23 gives us that. A quick summation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our Lord. Um, Think about maybe living with a roommate for a minute. Many of you do. Um, what if your roommate thought you had stolen from you or thought you stole from them? Let's say they left 60 bucks out on the table and they came back home and it was gone. And the assumption was that you stole that 60 bucks because they saw on your feed that you're at a restaurant having fun with your friends. And like, you know what? They took my money and, they're out having, like, and you went into the room and you turned over their bed. You started ripping through everything and you were so convinced they had done this to you, you just, you just trashed their room. Now, you, you found the 60 bucks later because you actually had put it on your dresser and not the table. You felt bad, right? You sinned against your roommate. That causes relational debt. And you say, I'll fix it. I'm going to write a check out for 1000 bucks uh, or Venmo, my friend, 1000 bucks. That'll cover it. Friend comes home, sees that you've destroyed their room for no reason, not trusting them. And you say, you know what? Hey, I'm really sorry about that. Here's a thousand bucks. We're good, right? No, we're not good. We're not good. 
Not only have you created debt, which you've paid for, you've created relational damage, vandalism. The soil of that relationship is now dry. There's a lack of trust. This happens in sin as well. Relational damage, it contaminates or pollutes that relationship, just like you wouldn't drink water if you suspected there was lead in it. Um, it pollutes that relationship. So what we see here in God, what he has done, even though humanity is polluted by sin, instead of just pulling the plug and letting humanity circle the drain, God, in a way only he can, makes a way to deal with evil that is a part of us. He makes a way to deal with sin. So the destruction that sin brings isn't the end of the story. No, because Jesus, through his death, bears the weight of our sin. Hey, think, think a minute just what everybody's on, on your mind, the coronavirus. How much do you long for this to be over? And not just because you're inconvenienced, because it's something we share together in humanity that, that's not good. Think about the grieving that you have for those who sin against you, or maybe when you sin against someone else. Couched in that grieving is a longing for not just a general redemption, but a redeemer. You want one who will come and set things right. This is what Jesus does. He starts by bearing the weight of our sin. So sin destroys. Secondly, there's a sacrifice. And what does that sacrifice, now we're getting into the atonement. What does this sacrifice do um, that handles or deals with our sin, or more specifically, pays the penalty or the price of our sin. Um, well, I'm just going to stick with this big word for a minute, atonement. I think we've probably talked a little bit about it if you've been with us in Portico Church, um, but not so often. It's not a word that we use much. In general, it means a covering over or a, a covering of sin, right? It's dealing with sin. Um, and if you might think of it as everything that Christ has done his completed work and everything that he's doing, his ongoing work to save and redeem you. That's atonement. It's more than just his death. It's all of it, everything that he's done to redeem and is doing now. But let's think about, so that's the what of atonement. What is the why of atonement? In other words, why is God doing this? You've got to understand this because if we don't, then we're going to, miss, we're going to miss, misunderstand the death of Jesus. He's doing it to restore a personal relationship. You've got to see that. This is all about removing sin to restore a personal relationship, taking on the weight of sin on himself to restore his relationship with you. That is the why of atonement. Even think of the word atonement. We could maybe even break it up. Even this is a horrible way to do etymology. We're just going to use it because it's there. at one mint. That's atonement. So just understand, God is reconciling himself to you as he bears the weight or pays the price of your sin. That's what atonement is all about. So uh, let's go back into the Old Testament for a minute uh, and think about the sacrificial system. So we have to understand a little bit about what was going on in ancient Israel, uh, understanding the sacrificial system, if we're going to see the richness and the power 
of the sacrifice of Christ for us. Um, so let's just walk through that. We'll just tell the story. And if you want to, uh, later you can read through Leviticus 16, because that's what I'll talk about. And then if you want a, a better understanding of that in context, go to the book of Hebrews and read through Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, because it interprets it really well. So, But just remember this. Remember, Israel was, it was in Egypt. They were slaves under the house of bondage. They cried out to God to release them. God responds, delivers them out of bondage by the blood of the Lamb, uh, he brings them out, brings them to himself. And it's not just, remember, salvation, redemption, it's not just about being delivered from something, from bondage, but delivered to something. He brings them to himself that they might worship him because this is what we are created to do. So he does that. And then we see this thing show up, uh, this thing called a tabernacle, because it wasn't that God was just redeeming them and letting them wander. No, he wanted them for himself to establish a love-trust relationship. So he does give him he gives them the law, but he also gives them this tabernacle where he will meet with them. It's a, think of it as a very small, pitiful representation of Eden again. He's rebuilding it. And in the tabernacle, this is where he would meet with his people. Specifically, he would meet with the high priest at least well, once a year for atonement in the holiest of holies. Do you remember this? We see this in, in Leviticus 16. Uh, God would would in the sacrificial system, there was one big atonement, and that happened once a year for all of Israel, uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this is what would happen. A, a purified priest, and that would have been Aaron initially, um, would have to be purified himself through blood, and he would go into the tabernacle and prepare the elements through the sprinkling of blood, even on the holiest of holies. He would make atonement even for the tabernacle. So the purified priest, an unblemished animal as a sacrifice, uh, would have to be there as well. And, and one of those animals would serve as a scapegoat. So what happened on the day of atonement is the high priest would go into the behind the curtain, the holiest of holies, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was, where the cherubim were, where there was incense, and God would meet with this high priest to make atonement for the people of Israel. And it was done through blood. Leviticus 17 says that. The life is in the blood, and it takes the blood to atone for sin. There would be blood on the altar, there would be blood in the ark, and God would receive that as, as a, a satisfaction in the moment for that. Um, just understand, this is hard for us because we, we don't have anything like that. However, we have to understand it if we're going to understand the richness of Christ. One of the things that you would have experienced if you were in this day and age is you would see the outcome and the, the experience of your sin. It caused death, it caused blood, it killed things for you. Uh, and so Israel saw that Jesus takes, this was all pointing to Jesus. The, the day of atonement was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. He's the purified priest, not because He's purified by blood, but because he's sinless. So he steps into that role. Um, he's the unblemished animal. He himself, in his body, takes on the wrath of God, takes on our sin, and he also serves as a scapegoat. Um, he was carried outside of the city, separated from his people, and executed under Roman law, outside, away from his people. He bears that reproach 
from us. So as we understand that, we must see that Jesus is the substance of what God gives us for sacrifice. He himself pays the sacrifice for our sin. So he bears the weight of our sin in his own body. This is, this is what they were looking for in the Old Testament because there was a promise of a Messiah king that would come and redeem the people of God. They didn't know how, but they learned to trust him through faith just like we do. So the death of Jesus bearing the weight of our sin, which leads us to substitution. So yes, sin destroys, sacrifice pays the price or the penalty of our sin, and it's through substitution. Um, Again, we probably have heard this. Jesus is our substitute, but we need to make this real. Um, understand this is done in love, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So the, the motivation for Jesus coming is the Father's love, right? God's love. Um, love requires personal exchange. It just does. If you've ever had the experience of loving somebody that was in deep, deep need, and they really didn't have a way to appreciate you or even to acknowledge you, uh, then you understand a little bit about what's happening. When you love someone like that, it requires deep personal exchange. In this way, you are choosing to lose freedom that this other person, maybe they're a child, maybe they're a parent with dementia, maybe that's somebody that just, I don't know, maybe they just are losing options. You lose freedom so that they may gain freedom. Your life becomes condensed. You experience a little bit less of it that they might experience more. That is what substitution is. This is, how God, this is the only way God loves. And this is what Jesus is doing on the cross. He loses complete freedom that we might gain freedom. This is how God does it. Uh, let me just pick up on 1 Peter because it's a good explanation of everything that we're saying. This is 1 Peter 2. Uh, verse 24, and this is speaking of Jesus. It says, he, that's Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Um, you're not going to be able to carry the weight of your own sin. Many of us try to do that, even as Christians. I have a good friend that likes to backpack He's told me several times of this story when he was packing into the Grand Canyon with some inexperienced hikers, uh, and they realized they were in trouble when they got down on a hot day because they weren't going to make it back out of the canyon, and they weren't prepared to stay overnight. So what did he and his friend, who were experienced hikers, have to do for the two that were inexperienced? They had to pack, take the, the burden or the weight of the other packs from the other people and put them on their own backs so that they maybe, maybe had 80 or 90 pounds on their pack, because if they didn't do that, there was absolutely no way they're getting in that canyon that night, and they would be at great risk. In one way, this is what Jesus is doing with our sin on the cross. This is what substitution looks like. There is no way out of this canyon for us outside of him. He bears the weight of our sin. He lifts it up, takes it off of us, and deals with it. This is what atonement is. This is what substitution represents for us. And he's given to us as a gift. Don't miss this. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified that is made right 
by grace as a gift. This is not something that God gives you because you're a great person. In fact, Jesus saves the worst of the worst, right? He does. But it's given to you as a gift, a gift of the Father's love. It's a gift of the Son's sacrifice, enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God. This is a gift for us. We receive it by faith. Faith is the open hand that receives the gift of God. How many times have you struggled with bearing your own weight of what you have done and you just can't let go of it? In Christ, we are called to let him, let him bear the weight of our sin. This is part of what the cross means. It's not all that it means, but it's a significant part. It gets us in the front door of understanding what the cross means. And in so doing, receiving this by faith, repenting of sin, allowing Christ to bear your sin, as the text says, you are justified. You become a new creation. You have a new position before God, not as one who's bearing their own weight, but you become an heir. You become one who is right or declared right by God, declared right. We know that we're not righteous. We're declared right by God. The gift includes the righteousness of Christ and him bearing up our sin on the cross. And then he becomes our advocate. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? The death of Jesus bears the weight of our sin. This is the cross. This is the cross. Our sin destroys. His sacrifice pays. And he stands as a substitute and even now at the right hand of the Father as your advocate. Only if, only if you receive that by faith. That's the cross. This is, this is the beginning of what's happening at the cross. God is holy. He's just. He is powerful. Let us not be flippant with this. Say, oh yeah, of course God forgives my sin because I want it. He's beautiful. He's powerful. Let him, we, we are here to glorify him. On the flip side, don't wait. He offers this to us as a gift. So do you feel forgiven? Let me just ask you that right now. Do you feel forgiven? Has the weight of your sin weighed you down so much so that God feels dangerous? If you're not a believer, receive it. Get in on this. Do not wait. God doesn't need anything from you before you receive that. If you're a believer, what are you doing? What are you doing holding on to that? Trust, trust in him. Let him have the weight of your sin. And I'm just going to tell you, it takes more than you to help with that sometimes. So do you feel forgiven? Do you feel the experience of Jesus bearing the weight? Who's carrying it? And, and how you might answer this question, like, I don't know. Well, how do you respond to the presence of God? How, do you, how are you responding to the presence? Are you in his word? Do you receive what he has for you? Do you learn about God or are you, are you walking in relationship with him? Does he feel, does it feel like trauma when you get near him because you're afraid of him? Or do you rejoice because of what he's done in Christ for you specifically? So look at the cross. It is God's act of love for you and move towards him. 
That's the call. Move towards him. He has bore the weight of your sin, your debt, repaired the relational damage you've done, is removing the stain of sin from your life, both your sin and those who have sinned against you. Bear and reproach, shame, all of it. He's moving that out. So move towards him. This is our call today as we understand what it means that Jesus has bore the weight of her sin. Isn't that beautiful? So let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice in that together. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that we come to you in Christ, not as one who's carrying a load, not as one who's bearing the weight of our own sin. In Christ, through faith, we come to you as one forgiven, as one free of sin, as one who the law no longer condemns, and we are free to worship you fully. Help us, Lord, as we walk through this series, understanding that the penalty of sin is gone, and, and, and as we learn next week that the power of sin is gone, and on and on. Help us to make your gift our own. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.